0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so last week we learned that Paul was uh, the very, very best example that we could find Of someone who was willing to put aside his own interests in order to protect the weak and to promote growth among the church, right? He was just the the best example of this. And if you remember, uh, what we were talking about was the fact that, principally in Scripture, the apostles and the elders in the Church of Corinth they deserved the financial support of the church there. In other words. The church was doing kind of a poor job of looking out for the people that were giving them everything that they had, right? Late nights, counseling session, discipleship all day. You know, you can imagine Paul, you know, meeting people for lunch here and there. You know, uh, you know they're probably like eating shawarma and like euros, right? I assume that's what they're eating. Lots of Hummus. Meeting people because people had needs, and he was there to meet them in their needs. And, and yet, despite all that, they weren't meeting the, the scriptural principle to kind of take care financially of the, of the elders that were investing so much into them. And so he, he is modeling. We're about to enter this part of the scripture here where he really exemplifies death to that, Right? His own sacrifice, like, look, even though that's the principle of Scripture, I don't need anything of you. There's greater things at stake here than that. And so, as we learn today, uh, that living the way Paul shows us, living that way requires a really unique perspective on ourselves as people. We're not very good at seeing ourselves. We like to create narratives about ourselves that are kind of actually outside of ourselves, right? We we kind of invent a story and a brand, an identity for ourselves, and then we try to we try to meet that standard, which usually fails pretty pretty poor. You know, we aren't very good at that. But what we need to learn how to do is is be honest with ourselves and critique ourselves in light of the gospel, in light of who Jesus is. And we need to consider our relationship. To the death, burial, and resurrection, and and what the message of the gospel actually means for our lives. That's what we're going to be doing today, as we try to answer this question: Have I been doing gospel ministry my way? Okay, that's that's kind of that's the question for today. Have I been doing as a Christian, as a part of this church, as a part of this ministry? Have I, have I really just been all this time doing gospel ministry? In my, in my own way in my own fashion in my flesh the way that I prefer versus what Christ is actually asking of me and this is gonna this question will make more sense as we move throughout the sermon today but let's pray and then we'll get into it today's sermon is called A Blameless Gospel that's what we're gonna be discussing A Blameless Gospel uh, Dear Heavenly Father Lord we love you and we thank you for worship and uh, it's it's uh, Praise is such an interesting thing because no matter what the worship team does, the praise team does, uh, for some people, it'll never be satisfactory because they're thinking uh, about music and their personal preferences. And so they'll never be satisfied in acknowledging who you are in the midst of praise. They They get in their own way. And then there'll be others of us who are so caught up in the emotion and the elation of everybody singing so loud and just such so joyous that we forget that, that in our minds uh, should be the good shepherd and that we, we ought to be picturing him. And so God, I thank you for such a beautiful worship set and I pray that you would perfect our praise before you every one of us as individuals, because that's what it comes down to, is that we're a collective, we're a collective made up of individuals. Lord, hold us accountable to our own faith. And Lord, I'm going to ask the same today in this sermon. Lord, help us to be held accountable to the gospel and help us to see that, that for, for a lot of us, we sometimes accidentally even subvert our own faith. And we make decisions and we do things that are actually cheapening the grace and the potency of the gospel message. And so God, I I pray that you would help us to be exposed to those things today. You'd convict us and you would instruct us and you would perfect us in righteousness that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin uh, per usual. By reading, we're going to start here in verse 15, where we left off last week. But I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die, than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. that uh, Sorry, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. That's as far as we're going to get today, but we're going to try to drill down as deep as we can here. So we remember from last week that Paul was addressing this, this idea that scripturally the church in Corinth should be striving to support their elders financially. But here, we're going to watch as Paul flips that script and models selflessness and sacrifice, which is the greater principle here, right? So he's presenting two principles. The first principle is, look, the Bible says that you need to support those who serve you, right? Remember the pictures that he gives us about the shepherd and about the soldier and about the ox, right, the ox? Even the ox deserves the opportunity to eat of the gleanings of the harvest. And so at the end of the season, you should even give the ox who served you and labored for you all spring and summer, you should even allow him to benefit from the leftovers behind from the harvest. And so that's the way that we should also be treating the laborers that serve us in the ministry, is that they also, because of the way that they served, they deserve an opportunity uh, to, to, to be supported and to be taken care of. But yet, there's a greater principle at work. There's a greater principle at work here. And in our passage today, we're going to see him unfold that selflessness and explain his motivations and shed light on his view of who God truly is to him. So verse 15 says, But I, uh, it, with all this context in mind, but I have used none of these things, these principles concerning support and, and you know the necessity of, of providing for the elders, I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void." So Paul is reminding that despite the fact that he wants them to mature in their willingness to support those who serve them, that he wasn't going to try to strong arm them into supporting him, right? It was not his desire and it was not his will to strong arm or manipulate them into supporting him. Now, I want to, I want to mirror briefly, I want to mirror this point exactly and I want to reiterate the fact that my hope in teaching from this chapter is to, is to challenge you. My desire is to challenge you and sharpen you that you might consider all of these principles, right? The, the, the principal idea that, yeah, you, you, you are really, from Scripture, obligated to support the people that, that support you. But, but also, and more importantly, we need to learn how to, principally honor our pastors in the way that we see. Now, listen to me. I know how this sounds. I'm a pastor. The pastor's up here. He's talking about this. This is another one of those submission messages. <laughs> but that's really, I, look, I don't really care about that. Okay? I just want you to know, like, I consider the pastor a position. I went into this knowing. I went into this knowing that my job professionally is to be abused by people. And I, you know, I know that sounds a little funny, but I'm, I'm being honest with you. Like, I, I know that, like, going into this, that there's an aspect for which I just need to embrace the fact that I will often I will often have to choose to be the last. Like, that's the decision that I made, is, is to be last. And so I want you to hear this the way it, that, like, I'm also, when I'm preaching this, I'm thinking about the pastors in my life as well. Like, I'm thinking about Sam Miles, and I'm thinking about Will, I'm thinking about Jeff, I'm thinking about Chris, right? I'm thinking about James, I'm thinking about Andrew, I'm thinking about the guys, Kenny, these guys that are also, they're my pastors, right? And we need to understand that as we look at this, that there's a broader idea in mind, and that is that we ought to honor our pastors because they watch for our souls, they watch for our souls, and, and beyond that, okay, let's, I want to really get into your world for a second. I want to point out, this is my desire for you. My job is to sharpen you and to grow you in your faith. I also want to point out the fact that we must be submitted to our Bible study leaders because they're equipping us for the mission. And I know that's not always easy because in some cases, our Bible study leaders are there our peers, or maybe they're even younger than us. But God has put them in a position where they're leading you in the mission. They're teaching you how to study the Bible. They're mobilizing you to reach the city. And God has put them in a position, circumstantially, plus just the fact that God has matured them in such a way that they're ready for that work. God has put them in a position to minister to your soul and to activate you for the work of the mission. And that is a a wonderful thing. It ought to be honored. And so we ought to, man, you know, look, I get it we're really close to our Bible study leaders and we feel very close to them, but sometimes, sometimes unintentionally in our immaturity, we we might be unnecessarily disrespectful. And so despite the fact that by them choosing to be Bible study leaders, they have, by the very nature of that position, they've chosen to be last. Okay, they've chosen to put up with a lot. They've chosen that. That's the path they've chosen. Does that give you the, a, a reason to despise them? Does that give you liberty to talk down to them or disrespectfully or take advantage of their grace? This is, this is hard stuff, hard stuff, okay? But it's worth considering. See, my hope is that we would be respectful of those who disciple us. You know how easy it is, guys, for you to like, do you remember this? It probably wasn't too long ago where you got upset with your mom or your dad and you stormed off, stomped your feet, slammed the door to your bedroom and threw your face into the pillow and just yelled, I hate them. You know what I mean? You know that spirit, right? The people that you love most in the world, you also have the capacity sometimes to despise them. And my heart from this passage is that principally you would understand that, that your disciple maker, the, the, the person that's investing God's word in you, the mentor in your life, they love you. They, they love you. And so you ought to function in a way that honors that. that. That's right. That is principled for us in scripture, despite the fact that everything in our culture tells us to not live that way, to be autonomous, to be independent, to have your own way, to be a little bit rebellious, that's healthy for you. Okay, despite the fact that the world is telling us, scripture is telling us that we do need to learn in a world that doesn't know submission and doesn't understand authority, we do, in the church, we do need to learn that. And not that anyone's perfect. Not, I'm definitely not perfect. I will do you wrong. Uh, you should come to me when I've done that. We should walk through that, okay? But, but despite the fact that people are just people and they're gonna fail you, we also need to recognize it's, there are people that are worthy of honoring and, and loving and I want to say this, and this is a point worth getting down. The marks of a mature minister are that they know how to honor those who have authority in their life. The, the mark of a mature minister, a mature Christian, is that they know how to honor those who have authority in their life. And, and that you have to navigate that. Like, I've had to learn how to not always just talk to Sam Miles like he's my friend, though we are friends. But there is a way in which that I need to speak to him because I need to honor the fact that he's also my pastor. He's also my father in the faith. And, and my growth in terms of maturity means that I've got to learn how to bridle my tongue and bridle my posture and be temperate in my approach to him. That's right. But listen, not just that. Okay, not just that. Not only that a, a mature minister is someone who knows how to honor those who have authority in their life. Listen, listen. A mature leader a mature leadership also doesn't forcefully demand honor. Right? A mature leader does not assert authority does not assert and demand honor they earn it. They earn it by serving they earn it by preferring the weak just as we've been talking about preferring the weak over themselves by dying to their own wills and wants and putting other people over them that's the that's the only way ultimately of becoming the leader that Christ prescribes in scripture and so we ought to not be demanding of honor and submission See, Paul was horrified by the idea that the church might see him as using his authority for gain. You guys see that, right? That he might be manipulating the outcomes, as we heard in the previous sermon, right? That the idea that he might be manipulating them in any way by writing this was completely horrifying to him. In fact, he addresses this again in his second letter to the church in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, at this point in the letter, uh, Paul is dealing with the exact opposite issue in Corinth than he did here in the First in 1 Corinthians. It's the exact opposite problem. See, here Paul has been asked by the wealthier members of the church if he would be willing to come off the mission field and become their full-time pastor receiving a professional wage. So that's, that's the pitch in 2 second, in second Corinthians. That's the pitch from the church in Corinth. They've like done a complete 180. And now they're, they're erring in a complete opposite direction. They wanted to secure, secure Paul for their services because they wanted to have a respectable pastor in their pulpit. And look, look Paul's response to this is so classic, okay? It's so good. So follow along here in 2 Corinthians twelve thirteen. So Paul addresses this issue from another perspective, and he says, "'For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, "'except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? "'Forgive me this wrong. "'Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, "'and I will not be burdensome to you, "'for I seek not yours but you. "'For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, "'but the parents for the children.'" And I will very gladly spend, when I was preparing this, I knew it would require composure right here. Listen to this statement. Listen to what he says. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you. the less I be loved. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? So Paul says, look, I don't want to be your employee. And I don't I don't want to be your mega church pastor. He says, I want to be your f- father. I want to be your dad. I don't need your money. In fact, if anything, as your father, it's my responsibility that the more I love you, the more I expect to be abused. I want to be your father. This is Paul's point to Corinth. His goal in writing about the principle of supporting elders in the church was not to manipulate them into giving. In fact, he would prefer them not support him financially at all. If receiving it in any way, listen, if, it, if receiving that money in any way diminish God's movement in his personal life. And so here's our first key point. Whatever cheapens God's glory is not worth it. Okay, so this, this point is, is critical, OK? Whatever cheapens God's glory is not worth it. It's not worth it. What's it say here? For if it were better for me to die, than that any man should make my glorying void. Now, I think we're all in danger in our decision-making to cheapen the grace of God and lessen his glory. I don't know if you know that about yourself. I think we're all in danger of doing that. Okay, so let's talk about some really practical ways in which that manifests itself in the contemporary church. Can we do that for a 2nd look at some examples. I think a really easy one is actually in the context of praise and worship music. So we all recognize as Christians that God is worthy of our worship. But so many praise ministries in our world today, they use flashing lights, fog machines, and emo rhetoric, right? It might as well be like My Chemical Romance set to worship, right it's so over the top and half of what they're saying doesn't even mean anything because ultimately they've forgotten that to get worship or to give worship to God it means that that they're responsible for reciting the truth of scripture until their hearts are one and intimate with Christ they've forgotten that and so they've replaced that with a shortcut they've replaced it with manipulation Okay, well, I, want to promote, I want to promote a spirit of praise and worship in the congregation. So how do we get there by the fastest route possible? Right? And so what they do is they come up with a way of, of leveraging your emotion to, to, to create, really, at the end of the day, at a minimum, a mingled perspective, but at worst... A, a completely deluded and illusory praise. Does that make sense? And so this continues on. I don't know if you've seen these videos and memes like where there's, where there's you know, uh, where the famous worship band is playing and it's like a concert and people are like, and they're in it, they're feeling it, and you're like, yeah, I'm feeling it too. And you're feeling it and you're watching the video. You just want, you want to sing along. But have you seen the memes where it's like, and then the person looks up at the camera like this out of the corner of their eye because they want to know that they're being seen for their worship. Have you seen this? Have you not seen these videos? Oh, they're, yeah, they're funny. Yeah, they're like outtakes from like Hillsong concerts or something. So they're like, hmm, mm, And then she's like looking at the camera. Like, Why? Because we want to be seen because our our worship is mingled, right? It's been tainted, it's been affected because we've made worship about us. Okay, now listen, listen, listen. That's a cheapening of God's glory. That's a cheapening of the grace that, like I don't doubt for one second that 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 girl, that she knows Jesus Christ, that she's saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? But she's just like all of us, right? She's just like all of us. We're all the same way. We want to be seen, and when we have that spirit, we cheapen the glory of God. So we do this in other ways, too, okay? So let's look at it from another perspective. So we desire to go on a mission trip, okay? Mission focus just happened. We're stoked. We're excited. And so... We say, we say, I think God's, man, I feel convicted to go on this particular trip, okay? Now, rather than starting to save money and trusting the Lord for that and, and, and giving that to God and start raising them and being a good steward of what God's given us, we just whip out that credit card, right? And we, we charge that mission trip to the heathen world, who we are now enslaved to. Now I'm, now I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage to the world because I wanted I want to follow God. Do you, do you see the contradiction there? But that's the kind of stuff we do. Why? Because we manipulate outcomes. We take shortcuts. Because ultimately we're 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 less concerned about about getting to where God wants us to be, we're less concerned about that and we're more concerned about getting there the way we want to get there and in our timing. Does this make sense? And and when we do that, we cheapen the grace of Jesus Christ because he's saying to us, he's saying, look, I mean, I came to earth, I died for you. I rose again to set you free from your sin. Why would you ever need to take any shortcuts? Look, I took the long and the hard road. (laughs) Can you not walk with me? Can you not go a way that seems satisfactory to me? Or how about any instance in ministry where we choose to manipulate and convince people that we ought to get our way rather than trusting the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Anytime we want to get our way, so we we convince someone to do what we want them to do versus trusting it to the Lord and trusting it to the Spirit of God. All of these things devalue the rejoicing in God that we should be experiencing. And honestly, more importantly than that, it devalues the rejoicing that he deserves. So all glory is due to Christ, and Paul's concerned that his glory would be made void be made void by a lack of faithfulness. So let's look more closely at this, all right? For if, we, if, if it were better for me to die, then that any man should make my glorying void. So what does this mean? This phrase, my glorying, means my rejoicing. In other words, contextually speaking, Paul is saying that, that his rejoicing is connected to God's gracious provision and not the provision of people and the church. That's what he's saying, that his rejoicing in the Lord is connected to trusting God for the outcomes versus manipulating the outcomes among God's people. Does that make sense? Why? Because Paul knows that even when his friends fail him, Christ never does. And relying on God's gracious provision is true rejoicing. It really is. Now I wonder if we have that perspective. See, when my, my, when my Christian friends fail me, do I, do I think, well, Christ doesn't, and so I'm good. Or, or do we conflate the two? And we, do we say, people have treated me wrong, so God treated me wrong, and God must be against me. That's what a lot of us do. Oh, the church, the church, someone at the church was mean to me. Something happened, didn't like it. Didn't like how that thing went down. Listen, the church is full of that. That's people. If, If you experience that in your job, you're gonna experience that here too, because people are like that. But do we, do we, are we prone to conflating the two, and then when people fail us, we just assume that God's failed us because they're all in cahoots anyway. You know what I mean? And so we we get this weird perspective. Listen to me. Other people's failures do not implicate God. They don't. He's just as good to you now as he was before. So from Paul's perspective, even if he's mistreated, Or if his love is not reciprocated, which it rarely is, he is going to prefer his weaker brothers by not demanding that they support him, and instead rejoice in the fact that God is always there for him, even in tough times. So here's our next key point: whatever the whatever weakness that the church has is outweighed by God's grace. It covers that. It fills that gap. So everyone, right now, who considers them a part, themselves a part of this ministry, a part of this church, or a part of any church, right now, you should determine in your mind that people are going to fail you. The people's weaknesses will be on display; yours will too. And when that happens, if we find our rejoicing in Jesus Christ, we will remember that our provision comes from Him, and His grace far exceeds and outweighs any weakness that you experience in the body of Christ. And so you can lay that thing down at his feet, you can die to it, you can sacrifice it, and then you can go about serving people that treat you like crap. See, that kind of grace has been extended to me That kind of grace has been extended to me both from Christ but also the people that I serve with. And if we can begin to see everything from the lens of God's grace and his gospel towards us, then there's not anything that we can't forgive. See, God's grace is sufficient for our weaknesses, for our failures, and for others' failures and weaknesses too now listen to me, especially for leaders. I want to talk to you for a second. Leaders in this ministry, if we perceive that the church or church members have treated us poorly or abused, or abused us, listen to me, God's grace is big enough to teach you forbearance and how to press on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen to me. Paul's talking about his own weaknesses and his own infirmities, but can that not uh, be, be translated and extended to the entire body of Christ? That despite our weaknesses, that he's made perfect in our failure and in our, in our inability? So rather than building a narrative of victimhood, which is our culture and perpetuating a cycle of distrust among authority which is our culture why not trust God and love your brethren so now now Paul is speaking of his obligation as a minister but he connects an adjoining thought and this takes a bit of a turn here and I want the next if this has been helpful and good so far I think it gets better So check this out. Verse 16. Think about everything we've already talked about. About how he would never do do anything to offend the church. That he's willing to sacrifice and give his own life in order to preserve his rejoicing in the Lord. But listen to me. Verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Okay, so catch this. He's saying, look, if I don't preach, I have nothing to rejoice in. So like forget the whole thing about rejoicing. Forget the thing about sacrificing. Listen, let let me add an addendum item to what I was saying before. Here's the addendum. If I don't preach the gospel, There's no rejoicing to begin with. There is no glorying. (laughs) Because I've been unfaithful. See, he knows God is faithful. But what about the obligation of his own faithfulness? What good is it if he encounters the grace of God and doesn't respond with obedience to preach? He's a fraud. Un, unworthy of any rejoicing. Here's the next key point. We cheapen grace when our mouths don't declare the message of grace. We devalue. We rob it of its value. We, we rob grace. We rob the sacrifice of Christ. We steal away from the gospel. We, we diminish it when we don't preach it, when we call ourselves Christian and we declare that we ourselves have laid hold on the grace of God and he set us free and he's given us eternal life and then we don't extend that message to other people, you've made Christ's grace cheap. Listen, there is nothing more dastardly, nothing Listen, even in the world, okay, even in the world's standards, there is nothing more dastardly than a person who's been given the key to eternal life, but is unwilling to share it with those who are lost. I mean, it's the definition of Christian wickedness. It's the definition of it. To know what you have and to hide it under a bushel so that people who are just like you used to be don't have illuminated access to it is the worst possible thing that you can do to humanity. See, the power to save the human soul is locked up in the message that God sent his son to die for our sins, to come to this earth, live a perfect life, and then lay his life down as a sacrifice for all of mankind's sin. And by his resurrection, I am made perfect. This is my message. This is our message. And sharing that message is the purpose of our lives, it's the very purpose of our lives. And the gospel message is so compelling for Paul that he describes it as a necessity laid upon him, a burden that he gladly bears, an urgent message that burns in his bones. Like the prophet Jeremiah said Jeremiah 29, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. In other words, Jeremiah had such a rough go in ministry that he had determined that he was no longer going to preach his gospel message from his dispensation. I'm done. I'm wore out. These people won't listen to me. I'm done. But listen to what it says. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. In other words, the gospel message was so compelling that despite the fact that he wanted to hide it under a bushel, that the light burnt so brightly that it burst the bushel in two and it had no choice but to come out. It was more weary for him to silence his mouth than it was to suffer the shame of people rejecting him time and time again. and I wonder I wonder if this is where we're at the gospel message as necessity in our lives and on our lips is this our purpose or are we distracted with the affairs of the world are we distracted see the semester is starting back up and uh, we're meeting new people and we're going to have new opportunities, new opportunities to invest God's word. There'll be new people that show up to your Bible studies, people you've never met before, some of which won't know Christ. Some of them might be babies in Christ. And I wonder, I wonder, despite the fact that God brings a harvest to our, the, 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 the fields are white unto harvest, okay? And, and he's bringing people to our doorstep And despite the fact it's like fishing in a barrel, that you still have a choice to make whether or not this is going to be the purpose of your life. Are you going to get your hands dirty? For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Okay, Paul says, look, If I do this of my own volition, if I preach the gospel out of a desire in my heart to serve Christ, if I do that, then I have a reward. And we're going to talk about that reward more today and and next week. But, But if I do it willingly, of a willing heart, then I have a reward. Okay, but listen to what he says, right? The flip side of that coin goes like this. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. So he says, but if he does it unwillingly, if he preaches the gospel unwillingly or reluctantly, it doesn't matter because a dispensation of the gospel has been committed to me. It's like no one cares whether or not you go to your job and do it with a willing heart excited about whatever task you have at hand that day, or you do it frustrated because you don't really want to be there. It's still your stinking job. Like, you know, you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to go to your job. Why? Because it's your job and that's what you do. So Paul's point is whether I do it willingly for the sake of reward or I do it out of obligation to, do, to the dispensation that's been given to me, I've got to do it. Now I want to point out that people, people like to say that dispensational theology, you know, they want to poo-poo on that. It says it right here. So, so the, the Apostle Paul and by extension, the church at large have been entrusted. You guys know that the word dispensation means stewardship, right? And so a a stewardship has been extended to us and Paul defines it right here for us, that for the church age, as we follow the steward of the apostle Paul who stewards over the church age, as we follow in that dispensation, it is our obligation, it is our job, it is our purpose to share the gospel with the lost. That's what we've been called to do. That's what's been given to us to do. So regardless of how you feel about it, God has given us the responsibility to share the gospel message. And the question is, are you prepared to live it out? Is it your obligation? Do you see it that way? Like, really, do you see it that way? As important as getting up and going to your job so you don't get fired. With that level of importance, do you prioritize this in your life? Do you open your mouth? Do you speak the truth? Do you glorify the name of Jesus Christ everywhere you go? Now, let's, let's look at this idea of, of redefining reward, okay? We're going we're to kind of talk about two rewards in this chapter, two, two understandings of the idea of reward. But here I want to I wanna define reward in a little bit different way because Paul does that. So Paul addresses this issue of reward. But remember our context, the principle that he was teaching them is that the elders that serve the church are worthy of a reward. Remember that? they're worthy of reward for their service that they should be supported by those they give their lives to but but watch as paul redefines reward as something that he gains in christ not in people not in man okay verse 18 what is my reward then verily that when i preach the gospel i may make the gospel of christ without charge that i abuse not my power in the gospel Now, listen, in other words, rather than receiving the uncertain and uneager support that he's earned in Corinth, he would rather refuse that. Why? Because their support is not his reward anyway. That reward is not his true reward. His reward is the joy of knowing that he lived the gospel without blemish. His reward is knowing that he lived the gospel and he was bold with the truth of scripture and did not abuse, did not taint, did not manipulate along the way. That he did not cheapen its power He did not diminish the honor of God. This is his reward. And this speaks ultimately of integrity and character in our faith as we are a gospel witness in the world. That's what this is speaking to. Do we see our our Christian reward the way that Paul does, which is as follows. Here's our key point. Hopefully this clarifies it a little bit more. Reward for us. Listen to me. Now we're going to talk later in the chapter about reward in heaven Right, there's another reward, we're gonna talk about that, but listen to me, for our purposes today and the way that Paul is talking about it, reward is our key point. Reward is knowing. Reward is knowing we preach the gospel courageously without concession or corruption of character. That has everything to do with who you are in the gospel. That has everything to do with whether or not you're in this for man's reward or God's reward. This has everything to do with whether or not you will manipulate things to get your way or you'll submit to God's outcomes. This has everything to do with whether or not you choose to plainly live and preach the gospel and abide in the grace of Jesus Christ or you circumvent that, you mingle it with like, with your own opinions, your own thoughts, your own ways. Right? Our reward, our reward as Paul defines it here is simply the knowledge in my heart, the knowledge in my heart that I've served the Lord and I've preached the gospel without diminishing it in any way or corrupting it with my bad character, which we do, y'all. Your testimony affects the gospel. You don't get to escape that. Paul didn't escape it. You don't get to escape it. The way that you behave, the way that you act, the way that you hold yourself, the way that people perceive you has everything to do with whether or not they're going to receive the gospel message from off your lips. And Paul's point here is like, I'd rather die than take your money because I know if I do that, it will taint your mind against the gospel itself. And so I'd rather die than do that. And instead, my glory and my reward is in knowing that I've preached the gospel and I've done it without abusing it or tainting it in any way whatsoever. I choose blamelessness. And so I forego, I forego whatever you want to give me. That's a big deal. That's a big deal because most of us are greedy. And most of us are working and scheming just to get our way. We're doing it in the church. We're doing it out there. We're doing that. It's a big deal, and this is an incredible thing that he, uh, he models for us. Earlier in the chapter, we read Paul's words, okay? In Romans, or, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse 12, it says, if others be partakers of this power over you, are we not rather, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. But listen, he framed this earlier, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. See, he can't afford to hinder the gospel in any way whatsoever. So he's examining himself in light of the situation. Have you examined yourself in your heart? Because we cannot afford to hinder the gospel message. In the introduction of the letter, Paul says this 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Do you see what he's concerned with? I mean, throughout this entire letter, and listen, I I found a pattern of this throughout the entire Pauline epistles. He is highly concerned with making sure that the gospel is presented in its purest form without without any mingling without without any any point of error which means he himself has to choose to live a blameless life and as a minister of the gospel you have to understand that blamelessness means without blame okay listen you suck you're going to fail paul paul failed paul messed up he wasn't perfect we're not talking about perfection we're talking about grace and living in grace versus abusing grace. Oh, well, can I continue in sin? That God's grace may abound? God forbid. See, what we're talking about is living in grace versus abusing grace. And and instead of kind of living it up or doing this or that or cutting corners or manipulating, what if, what if we decided to be blameless and trust everything to Him? What if we did that? So in other words, we have the ability to curtail God's work in us when we allow our flesh to do the work itself. When we're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. When we take shortcuts to get our way rather than God's way. When we plot and scheme rather than pray and preach. When reward and success in our Christian walk is physical and not spiritual. We cheapen the gospel that was so, so costly. I mean, isn't that what Philippians chapter 2 teaches us? That Christ gave up the eternal realm on a mission his father sent him on and took on flesh. He gave up his crown. He he gave up his throne. He gave up his dominion and he put on flesh in the fashion of a filthy person. And he lived a perfect life. And the very creator of the universe suffered a gruesome death at the hand of his own creation. It was so costly. It cost him everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How quick we forget that. And then, because of our flesh, we cheapen the gospel by choosing not to live blameless lives I wanna invite um, whoever on the worship team is gonna come up as we conclude here. Now listen, here are the questions for you today as we close and finish up, okay? Here we go. If you know that God spoke to you today about the way you've been conducting yourself in ministry, you've you've been, maybe as you grow in your leadership, rather than trusting the Lord with the people that he's put in your life, You've, you've been prone to manipulate at times. You've been prone, prone to, to try to get the outcomes that you want. If that's you, you know that's you, and you got you, your heart was pricked in that way, would you come get prayer? Like there's gonna be people standing up here, or you can go grab your friend, or, or whatever you need to do. Go off into the corner. Go get prayer. Get that dealt with. If you know that there are, There needs to be a perspective shift in the way that you see yourself in light of the mission. Come get prayer. Like maybe you have, maybe you haven't been been treating God's dispensation to you to preach the gospel. You haven't been treating that with the severity that it deserves. You haven't been sober-minded about that. You haven't been taking advantage of the relationships in your life. Maybe you have failed to be blameless in your witness. Come get prayer. Why, 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 why? Because you're done manipulating. You're done scheming and you're done cheapening what God's done in you. You're done with that. Prayer is the answer. Trusting God is the answer. And finally, if you've got questions about who Jesus Christ really is, okay, like if, if the gospel message is new to you and, and you don't know much about this This God, Jesus. I want to beg you to come get your questions answered. Everybody here loves you and they're thankful that you're here. But don't leave this place unsure because here's the deal. Everyone asks the same question in this life. Same question haunts people in their bed every night. Where do I go when I die? And as I see it, the only satisfactory answer for that comes from Scripture. And so if, if that is a question that haunts you as it haunted me, I would say you should come forward and ask about who Jesus is. I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to ask that, that as we worship together, that you find the person that you need to talk to, and that you reckon things right before the Lord. Why? Because the gospel is precious, and what Jesus Christ did for us was costly, and we ought to treat it, we ought to treat it so. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you gave up so much for us. And Lord, please forgive us for all the ways in which we cheapen that. We cheapen it in our relationships by talking filthy and dirty and filling our minds with wickedness. We waste so much time. Lord, we cheapen it by not trusting you, by not being faithful, by not opening our mouth when we have opportunities to share the gospel by not, by not being willing. We cheapen it by diluting it with a, with a, a social gospel. We, we, we make light of what you did by trying to soften the blow and make it palatable for people. We're, we're frauds. We're fraudulent. So often we just We abuse what you've done for us. God, no more. Lord, help us right now, that despite our failure, despite our weakness, that we would come before you and repent. And that we would get this right because we have so little time and our lives are but a vapor. And then we will stand ready to either receive a reward in heaven or not. Make use of our lives. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, in the glory and the wonder and the beauty of his name and the cost of his blood, we pray it in his name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.